You're listening to the Yoga Teacher Resource Podcast. Knowledge, techniques, and inspiration for your teaching and your practice. I'm your host, Mado Hesselink. If you're a yoga teacher who loves learning, is passionate about spreading the benefits of yoga, and desires more resources to support your teaching, you're in the right place. Let's get started with today's episode. Are you curious about different business models for yoga teachers, especially in the online space? Hello, yoga teacher. Today, I'm really excited to invite one of my mentors, Rachel Cook, MBA, to the podcast to talk about some different business models, including passive, leveraged, and scaled, and what those mean and what it looks like to put those into action. Rachel is the perfect person to teach us about this because she has both a strong background in business with an MBA in entrepreneurship and also really understands the yoga industry. Her first brand was called The Yogipreneur, so you may have heard of that before. I'll tell you a story about the first time that I ever heard about Rachel. Way back, I want to say in maybe 2012 or so, I did a free call with her and she was super kind, super helpful. She didn't, she was not salesy on the call at all. And I did not end up working with her at that time. But when it was time for me to invest in some business training, I already knew who I wanted to invest with. So this really shows you the power of some of that pre-education. Some of our marketing efforts take years to come around and pay dividends. So this is actually a theme that Rachel and I get into during the conversation about really making an investment and not expecting fast payoffs. So very much of the business stuff that I teach on this podcast, I first learned from Rachel. Now I've continued to study it on my own with other mentors and teachers and to put my own spin on it because that's how I learn the best. But I am so excited to share Rachel with you. So let's jump into that conversation. Rachel, welcome to the Yoga Teacher Resource Podcast. I am so happy to have you here because you are one of my mentors when it comes to business. I feel like I have learned so much from you. So it's really great to have you here to talk about this topic of leverage, scaled, and passive income because I've been getting so many questions from my audience about it. So welcome. Thank you so much for having me. I love talking about different income streams. So let's dive in. I'd love to start just really with the basics of definitions. What is the difference? What do these terms mean? Scaled income, passive income, and leveraged income? Yeah. So these are just different ways to talk about how you're setting up your products, programs, and services to generate revenue. What most people, especially yoga teachers, are used to is dollars for a service, right? You're getting paid directly for your time and energy and effort. Um, And that's great. Like that's, we all start there. (laughs) We all start there. But there comes a point where you have raised your prices to as high as they can go. You tap out how many hours you have available in the week. And you start thinking, well, how else can I grow my business if I have no more time and I'm already at the top of my market? And this is when we need to start looking at different types of income streams that are going to make sense for 
whatever business you are building. So the first one I would start with is thinking about leveraged income streams. So leveraged income streams are when you can not just serve one person at a time, but you can serve multiple people in the same amount of time. So a great example of this is if you are used to teaching, let's say one-on-one private yoga, maybe you go from teaching just one-on-one private yoga to now having a group, a higher level like group private or semi-private or something like that, where you can make a little bit more for each hour that you are teaching. I actually started this type of leverage strategy pretty early on in my whole entrepreneurial journey. It goes all the way back to college. So let's say 20 years ago, um, I was a tutor for the um, athletic department and I was told it was $15 an hour to tutor all of the student athletes. And so I started forming study groups because everybody would pay me, you know, I would get $15 per student per hour. So suddenly I was making $150 as a junior in college an hour because I was helping the, uh, what was it? Usually the baseball or the tennis team with economics or accounting or something like that because I was the only tutor they had. So that was a great way to leverage what I knew, what I was able to do and make more per hour. A lot of leveraged opportunities out there um, are going to be in the form of group programs, group coaching programs, workshops, things like that, where you're still showing up live in order to deliver the content, in order to deliver the experience, but you're getting paid for the multiple multiples of people there. So that's the first one I would consider is if you've been doing one-on-one, start seeing if you could get five people at a time, 10 people at a time, 20 people at a time, um, all live with you at the same time. The next one that we hear about a lot in the online space is passive income. And I have a love-hate relationship with the term passive income because the truth is passive income is incredibly active to make happen. So passive income is the idea that you create something, it's available for sale, and people can buy it and consume it without you having to be there. So a great example of this is a book or a DVD or a membership site where people can buy something, they get access to it, and no one actually has to be there to facilitate the transaction, to deliver the product, program, or service. It's already been created and it's set up to let the person get access to it up front. Now, you're not actually showing up to sell it or deliver it because it's all ideally automated in some way, right? When someone goes to Amazon to buy my book, I don't have to do anything. Amazon works its magic and ships it out to people. But I did have to put in the effort up front to write the book and to create all the stuff. And then I have to put in the effort to market it, to build up the marketing systems um, and the sales systems to make sure that we're driving enough traffic to get people to buy. So that's one that a, a lot of times it sounds great, but it actually takes a lot of marketing energy in order to make work. The final kind of income stream that we can talk about is something that's more of a scaled income stream. And this is really where you shift from being the person who's creating all these things on your own to now a whole different model where you have other people, you have a team who's starting to deliver these things for you. 
So a great example of something that's more scaled, um, a friend of mine, actually, I think Mado, you know her as well, Francesca Severo just launched an online yoga studio. And one of the things that she's doing with that is she has other teachers coming in and teaching for her online yoga studio. So she's able to focus on not creating the content. The IP is not just her, it's other people. Um, she has other people and other systems in place starting to market it. It really has pulled her more out of the equation. So she's more of the business owner as opposed to being the, you know, boots on the ground entrepreneur trying to bring the revenue in with each thing. So when you're starting to look at scaled revenue, you're looking at things that other people are facilitating the marketing, other people are facilitating the sales, other people might even be creating the content or the intellectual property inside of that in order to grow. Okay, this is awesome. So helpful, so clear. Really interesting because as I was telling you earlier, we just recorded a podcast for Rachel's podcast as well. And I was telling Rachel about how when the pandemic hit, I was full with my one-on-one clients and all of a sudden I was over full. And I was realizing I needed to switch business models because I couldn't deliver the same one-to-one as I had been. And even the leveraged offering, I was doing some group coaching, that was also not quite uh, the amount of effort it was taking to recreate that every single time wasn't making sense. But I mean, it, it made a lot of sense for me as far as getting the practice and, and really dialing in the content. But at this point, I've really shifted over to looking at different passive and scaled business models. And what's super interesting is that I'm actually partnering with a friend of mine who I've known since teacher training to create a membership where she is the one who's delivering the content and I'm helping her with all of the systems. So in a way that is scaled, right? I hadn't even thought of it that way. It is more scaled. And what's interesting is I see that often the reason we start to go to the next type of income stream, we start to add the next type of income stream is exactly what you were talking about. You become the bottleneck in some way, shape or form. And it's like, okay, I have to get out of my own way and make it easier to serve more people um, without it all being tied to my time and my efforting. So do you think that sometimes people try to jump into these passive and scaled business models too soon? Yes. (laughs) Short answer, yes. Um, Long answer is the biggest reason why I think a lot of people jump into these too soon is they don't often understand what goes into growing these. So usually if you're starting to look at, let's say a passive income product, most 100% passive income products are relatively low cost, right? Like a book, you can go buy my book for, I think it's 10 or $15 on Amazon, right? For me to make a livable income off of selling books, I have to be not even a New York Times bestseller. Like even New York Times bestsellers do not make all their money off book sales. (laughs) They make all their money off other things, off speaking, off courses, off consulting, off coaching, right? Um, So a lot of times we start to feel like, oh, I need is a passive income product and then I will be good to go. But the volume is really hard to get at. Now, how do you get volume? You have to understand the marketing behind it and you have to be able to market at scale. So this is where it's not just about 
you know, oh, I have 200 people on my email list. If you have 200 people on your email list, you're not going to do that great selling a passive income product. You're going to have to get out to, in front of tens of thousands, maybe even hundreds of thousands of people. And if you don't have those people on your list, the other part is, well, do you have a big marketing budget to run advertising to it? Um, running ads is expensive and it's only getting more expensive in a lot of platforms, especially on Facebook and Instagram. So we have to really consider those things. Like you're going to need volume of audience in order to make a passive product work in order for it to make a, a real, what I would say like a livable income, right? If you only want a couple hundred bucks a month, maybe that's all you need to do is write a book. But if you're actually trying to like live your life off of this, you need, you're going to need volume. Um, and so a lot of passive products are a lower price point and that's, that's where the math of it makes it a little more complicated. You need something else on the back end. And a lot of people don't realize that these bigger businesses you're looking at, while you might just see the passive stuff on the front end, you might not realize that on the back end, they have all these other things that are generating revenue. So a great example of this is Brene Brown, right? I think everybody on this podcast probably knows who Brene Brown is because she's a favorite, but she doesn't just make money from her books. That is probably the smallest sliver of her total revenue pie. She makes money from paid speaking. She makes money from going into big corporations and running trainings. She makes money from her certification programs. Now these start to be more scaled. They start to be more higher end because you can go to her certification program and Brene might not be the person teaching you. She might have a trainer she's hired to come in and people on her team who've taken all of her work and developed a curriculum and now they're training other people and they're continuing to you know, build more revenue for that business. Um, the scaled piece is also going to be requiring, you know, obviously volume, but they tend to be more, more expensive. You know, this is where we're starting to go up the value scale here. But the challenge is now you have to learn not only how to do all these things yourself, but you have to run a team. And that's a whole nother dynamic of leadership that often it sounds really easy. Oh, I'll just get somebody to create this curriculum and deliver it and I'll get somebody to be the marketing team. I'll get somebody to be the sales team. But running a team can often feel like herding cats. You have to kind of keep everybody going in the same direction. And that's where your leadership goes from just you as a solopreneur to you truly stepping into being a CEO who is able to keep this team on the same page, keep them going in the same direction, and keep everybody moving in the right place in order to get where you want to go. For yoga teachers, I think a lot of times we're thinking about something like pre-recorded classes or a monthly membership. First of all, that monthly membership model, is that somewhat of a hybrid because you are creating content on a regular basis or is that considered passive? I would say um, it's, it doesn't feel passive to run a monthly membership. Um, that is for sure. And the reason I would say that is because if your monthly membership is dependent on content, then what often happens is you find yourself on this content ha- hamster wheel where every month you're trying to come up with new content for your membership to keep those members you have. But what's also happening with the membership, especially if it is a you know month to month membership where people can cancel at any time, is you're going to have people who fall off, people who cancel. So you have to replace those people. And if you want to grow... You have to get in front of more people. So the challenge with the monthly membership model 
is again, it's the volume. And if your promise is the content, then it's trying to make sure you also have the content engine inside as well as whatever's driving sales. I have a love-hate relationship with the idea of memberships <laughs> because statistically, if we look at a lot of them, the average unsubscribe is somewhere around three or four months. The goal is if you're going to do a membership to make it as sticky and as useful as possible without overwhelming people. So a lot of people will say no to a membership because they're like, I'm overwhelmed. I don't know where to start because there's too much content. They don't know how to get through it. And unless you happen to have Netflix-like capabilities where it's really easy to search and sort and find and have recommendations, which is not very easy to do unless you happen to know exactly how you want to lay that out, um, it can be really hard to get people through the content that you're creating. So the companies that are doing this really well are not doing this on their own. A great one to look at is Peloton. Um, Peloton's blowing up right now, right? Everybody's talking. I, I see, I don't even have a Peloton and I want one right now because I see everybody saying, did you do the Britney Spears ride? And the girl growing up in the 90s is going, yes, I want to do a Britney Spears ride. I don't even like riding, but this sounds fun. There's a conversation happening that's driving people to stuff and they've built a whole community around it. So in that case, it is content and there is fresh content going there. But they've also optimized on that content and built a community around it so that people want to stick around because it's sticky, right? If you know the same week that Hamilton came out, they're going to have a Hamilton ride on Peloton. You better believe everybody's excited to go sing all those songs while they're doing their spin. Like that makes it sticky. So memberships can be great. Um, but I would not say they are passive. I would say they're very leveraged because you can get them in front of a lot of people, um, but they take a lot of effort to create and to maintain. Yeah. So for the average yoga teacher listening today, who's thinking, okay, how do I grow my business, make my business more sustainable? Where do you recommend that they start? Hmm. I'm always going to come back old school one-to-one and develop a really amazing one-to-one experience. I know these other things sound way sexier, but I promise an amazing one-to-one experience is so valuable to have in your, in your revenue mix here. Um, you don't need many people to make a great living as a one-to-one teacher. You really don't. Um, and if you focus on people who can afford to pay you really well, for the experience you're delivering, it's just an, it's a, such a simple, elegant business model. You can't go wrong with that. The challenge comes when you want to take a break or you want to do something else. Some things that you can start to think about that are more leveraged, that, but that don't necessarily um, have to be the hardest things in the world to create. I'm going to give some examples of things I've seen recently. I have seen some incredible um, virtual yoga retreats recently. And I think this could be something that is an amazing experience. You'll make more than you would, you know, you could host a three hour virtual yoga retreat, make a whole lot more than you would if you were to have one-on-ones in those three hours. And you can really, the, the price point is totally up to you. It depends on how elevated you want to make this experience. I've had everything from one that was, it was like under $50 
it was a yoga class, a meditation, um, a conversation. And then at the end we had like, uh, what would you call it? Like sound healing, like the, the singing bowls and things. It was so relaxing all the way up to a very luxurious version of that, where we also got a custom little box of self-care items, like a lavender eye pillow, um, a little foam roller thing that you could use on yourself, tea, things like that. You can really elevate that experience and people pay for elevated experiences, even right now, especially right now, because we are all bored in, in our homes and we don't really go anywhere. So if we can create an amazing experience for ourselves at home, people will do that. So that's a great example of like a leveraged income stream, just creating something that's a little different and um, a real experience for people right now. Awesome. Um, Let's see other things that I think uh, yoga teachers could add to their offerings. I think another thing that a lot of yoga teachers could add is not just a yoga class, but think about what else your community wants from you. So a lot of people start to lean into their yoga teachers, not just for asana. They want other parts of the practice, right? They want to learn about these other things. So if you've never shared with your students or your audience um, any meditation background you might have, any background in Ayurveda, like there might be another opportunity for you to layer on something else that's not the same as what they're used to getting from you. And that could be a workshop, that could be a mini course, that could be um, something where literally you have a time where every week you guys show up on Zoom together and go through these different practices. It could be curating a little bundle for them that they're going to get to learn about whatever else you want to teach them that kind of falls under your brand that they're asking um, for you to share with them. And, you know, I'm a big fan of courses. I think there's so much you can teach that if you can put into a course format, the course doesn't have to be all pre-recorded in order for you to offer a course. I know a lot of people who started their course by literally delivering it live, like, hey, we're going to show up every week at four o'clock on Zoom on Mondays. They record the sessions and then that becomes what other people purchase. But one of my favorite students ever has a course that's on how to use yoga to heal your core after having a baby, how to heal heal diastis recti. Um, And specific courses are incredibly powerful. So if you are going to be like asking your audience about what they're interested in, maybe they, you have some students who really want to nail that handstand. Great. Let's do a whole course where we break it, break it, break it down. And each week they're progressing along with you. Or maybe there's a specific challenge they're going through and they're trying to manage anxiety. Let's imagine that everybody's highly anxious and not sleeping well. Can't imagine that being the truth these days. Everybody's struggling. So what if you did a whole course on yoga for better sleep? Yoga to reduce stress and help you sleep better. That could be incredibly powerful. And again, it's something you can kind of create as you go. And then you'd have something in your arsenal that you can sell later as a more passive product without support from you. Um, Or you can continue to have it as kind of a hybrid product where it's sitting there ready to go and you can just support people as they go through it. So for a yoga teacher who's listening to all of this menu of options, 
what are the prerequisites? What would you like to see somebody have in place before they take on an online course like this? Yeah. Well, I kind of always assume that you know what you're talking about with whatever you're going to create, right? You have experience and expertise to share. Um, and you've done this in some way, shape or form. If you've done the, this one-on-one, then you're probably able to transfer that into a group format or a course format. Um, And that's one of my favorite ways to validate all of my content, all of my ideas is to work through it one-on-one or in a really small group and make sure it's going to get the results that I want. Um, But especially with yoga, you don't want to hurt people. You want to make sure that you actually have the training you need to teach those specific things. Um, Other prerequisites are things that would be helpful, I should say. It's helpful if you've started building an email list. If you have an email list, you have a contact database, it will be so much easier once you're actually ready to put this type of thing out there. Um, I actually think the amazing thing is right now, technology has gotten so much easier. If y'all could have seen what we had to do 10 or 12 years ago to do these types of things, how many times it broke a website, got on the phone trying to figure out how the heck do I hook up the email with the PayPal, with the, the system. Now it's so much easier. There's a lot of systems that are pretty plug and play. Um, but I think if you have an email list, you've started building your audience in some way, shape or form. And if you have a clear kind of point of view is really helpful. Um, especially when you start to market online, when you are local, it's a little easier because people get to connect with you one-on-one. They get to know who you are. They know your personality. They're seeing you. But now that you transfer into a more virtual format, then we have to have a way that people can connect and stick to you. There has to be a reason why they're following you. Um, And this is where branding comes in. And a lot of people don't think about their brand or their messaging, but what is it that you stand for? What is it that your practice is about? What is it that makes you unique and different? What does your experience um, have to have to do with what you are putting out into the world? So you want to become the go-to person for something. And I think this is where a lot of yoga teachers might struggle in this transition because we're great at being generalists. We love to take all the trainings. But when you go online, you have to really start thinking more like, I'm a specialist. I specialize in XYZ. I'm still struggling with this. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you're specializing in helping yoga teachers with all the resources to build their business and continue thriving as yoga teachers. The messaging that I'm focused on right now is helping yoga teachers make a bigger impact. So whether that is through their teaching skills or their business skills, or even their, their personal life skills, all of these things are within the realm of helping yoga teachers reach more people and reach them more clearly. So returning to the question of the email list, is there kind of a baseline minimum? Like where do we want to be to, <laughs> to start promoting an online calculator. course? Yeah. Honestly, I would say if you are going to start selling, let's say a group program, I would want you to have a couple hundred people on your email list. Um, that seems to be the magic number as I, as I look through and I was actually doing launch reviews with a couple of my clients data and we found that if they had about 200, 250 people on their email list to get started, 
they were able to get their first product program or service launched and at least make, you know, a few thousand dollars off of it. And the thing is, once you start this process, just know that that first little launch, it's, it's like the first pancake. It's not perfect. <laughs> it might be a little raw. It might be a little burned. It's okay. You have to do it again and again and again. The, the return on investment on these isn't in the first time you offer them. It really is in the 10th time you offer them. And if you start to look at people who've um, been around for a long time, they're selling the same things again and again and again. And they're, even if it's something they don't actually have to physically deliver anymore, it's more of a passive thing, they still come out and promote it. They still come out and say, hey, we're running a special on this particular membership or this particular class. You can come join us for that. Um, but about a couple hundred people on your email list is a great start. And this is where um, you really have to start learning a little bit about the marketing and the math to make everything work. If you were working one-on-one -on -one previously and what I heard from a lot of yoga teachers all the time, you know, they'd get a lot of their clients from referrals or they would come from their classes to come work with them. Well, now you've got to translate that into a whole different marketplace. You, if, you're, if you're looking at going online or um, you've now got to get in front of people who do want to learn online, it's a different type of person. And you've got to figure out how to continue to get in front of those people. So now you've got to learn how to market differently, how to create more of a platform for yourself. I love what you said about not really thinking that the first time you launch is going to be like your big moneymaker. Because I see a lot of yoga teachers try something online, dip their toes into the digital world, and then get frustrated that it doesn't work right away. Yeah. It's not going so, right the way that they think it will. Yeah. And, and I think it's so helpful to hear people who have been there and who have done the, you know, kind of flopped launches <laughs> a few times. And, you know, you learn as you go. And one of the questions I ask yoga teachers who are interested in working with me is how committed are you to this path? How committed yeah. are you? Because if you're not all in and like, there's no backup plan. I'm just going to figure out how to make this work. There's easier ways to make money. Oh my gosh. Yes, there are. <laughs> there are so many different ways that you can go out and make money. But if you are, are wanting to teach yoga and you know that you want to do something other than just one-on-one -on -one private sessions or group classes, traditional group classes, then you've just got to be willing to think about all the different ways you can get yoga out in front of people. I even now remember, and this is the stuff that has informed how I kind of think about these things. My first experience with yoga wasn't a specific yoga teacher or a specific yoga class. It was a VHS tape. It was probably from like the early 90s, the Rodney Yee VHS tape. That's a perfect passive income product, right? But think about how long his career has been. So decades, Everybody knows who he is and he still is selling those types of things and showing up for all sorts of different offers. So I think that the goal for this is to remember, and I always think about whenever you're creating things that are recorded content, um, whenever you're creating a new program, a new curriculum, a new course, a new workshop, this is all intellectual property and intellectual property is an asset. So an asset is something that has value on its own. 
And ideally that value increases, but it's only going to increase if you keep it in play. It's just like if, if you invest in the stock market, stock market, and you are making great returns on it, but then you pull it out, well, it's no longer making money for you. So the asset in your business, your book, your course, your workshop, it's only in play. It's only generating revenue for you when you're consistently putting out there. And when you know that the million dollar launches you might be seeing from some people online, they all started as, you know, the first $5,000, the first $10,000. And then they grew because they kept putting it out there. They took a portion of that and started investing in marketing. They put a portion in that and started investing in ads. They put a portion in that and started growing their audience so that they could get it in front of more and more people. The people with the most grit win. <laughs> yeah, it's a, it is a long game. There are people who are overnight successes, um, but I would say most of the people that I've worked with, for them to get to a multiple six-figure yoga business, which is super possible, but it's going to take a couple of years because there's a lot to learn. <laughs> there's a lot to figure out on the tech side. There's a lot to figure out on the marketing strategy side. Making the jump from primarily one-to-one in classes to all these other different ways of, of teaching, it just takes time and effort and energy. So be patient with yourself. Just know it is a learning curve, but everything that you're doing is laying the foundation for what can, can be something that can grow without you having to effort so much. So for those yoga teachers listening who are like, yeah, I'm in, I want to do this. What do you recommend as the first step? I'm going to recommend that they do what you did. We just recorded the podcast for my podcast about this, but I recommend starting by going out and starting to have conversations with your existing audience and get clarity on what they're looking for from you. Because if we don't have clarity on what your clients and what your existing community wants, it's going to be really hard. You're kind of guessing at what you should make for them. But if you start asking them and you start having conversations with them and, and hear the struggles that they're, they're dealing with, hear the things that they're wondering about, you will have so much insight. It'll give you ideas for content you can create. It'll give you ideas for a new offer you could create. If you start hearing the same things over and over again, that's a good indicator that, oh, this could be a program. Yoga for new moms. I'm hearing from all these new moms who really need a yoga uh, program. Oh, I need an anti-stress program. That is something I'm hearing a ton about right now. I need a better sleep program. Like you will start to hear these threads and those threads are the ones that you should follow. I totally agree. And if you want to hear more about my process of doing that, you can check out Rachel's podcast. You know, I have no idea like when my episode's coming out, when your episode's coming out, but we'll figure it out. We'll eventually, figure it out. eventually you can definitely check that out on Promote Yourself to CEO. That's Rachel's podcast. And Rachel, before we wrap up, is there anything else that you want to share with the Yoga Teacher Resource audience or anything that you want to emphasize that we have discussed today? Yeah, I think we are at such an interesting time right now where everybody is, is starting to think about how do we take a, an industry that has been primarily an in-person experience and translate it online and I know it can feel really overwhelming and like, this is too complicated. I'm not techie enough. 
but I promise that it is actually easier than, than you could imagine. The technology is available and out there. There are amazing mentors like Mado who can walk you through how to do some of these things. And it's, it's going to take a little bit of time to figure out, but this is where the future is going. And so now's the perfect time to start diving into that. Mm, I agree. And then if listeners want to find you and listen to your podcast and check out your offerings, where can they find you? Yeah, just head over to rachelcook.com or you can head over and find me on Instagram at rachel.cook. Thank you so much, Rachel. Really interesting conversation. I feel like I learned a lot and um, I'm excited for some yoga teacher resource listeners to dive into this world of leveraged passive and scaled income. Thank you so much for having me. Okay. So I feel like that conversation was a really good balance between inspiring and also a reality check. This is a really exciting time to be alive. If you have an entrepreneurial spirit, because the online business models that are possible today are really accessible to anyone even if you don't have a tech background. Now, let me be clear, you definitely have to be willing to learn tech to do this because I don't think it works well to assume that you're gonna hire out all of your tech. And the reason for that is that you don't wanna be paying for stuff that you don't fully understand yourself. I mean, to some degree, yes, when it gets really deep into the tech, like we do pay for software that we don't fully understand, But for the most part, when we're managing people, we want to be able to step into their role if something happened to them. I know that tech can be super frustrating when it doesn't work, but my experience is that like 80 to 90% of the time when tech doesn't work, it's actually user error. Meaning if you just stick with it and do whatever it is enough times, you will reduce the amount of errors that you make to the point where it doesn't feel so frustrating. On the plus side, whatever the heck it is that you need to learn to make this work, there are tutorials out there. Now, another option, instead of hiring somebody to do the tech for you, you could definitely hire them to teach you the tech. Bottom line, it is all very, very learnable. Sometimes I start working with clients and they want me to teach them the tech. And what I've come to realize is that that is not the best use of my time. The way my brain works, I love looking at the big picture and how different pieces work together. So when I work with clients, I will point them in the right direction. Here's a tutorial for you, or here's where to find a tutorial, or here's who you can hire to teach you the tech. But it doesn't make sense because my hourly rate is pretty high at this point because of what Rachel and I were talking about during the episode, that the demand grew so much that I had to raise my rates just in order to make it manageable. And while I would not call myself tech phobic by any stretch of the imagination, this is also not my passion, my area of expertise. I love technology for what it makes possible. And I'm definitely willing to put in the time and go through the learning curves. But the main message I want to put out there is if I can do this, really anybody can do this. All you need is a strong intention to provide the internal motivation to get through that learning curve. I am so grateful for 
everything that taking my business online has done for me, the connections I've made, the lifestyle that I've been able to create for myself as an introvert, and the feedback that I get from listeners, podcast listeners, clients, and students that help me feel like I'm really making a difference. The one biggest challenge, and this is something that Rachel talks about a lot as well, even though we didn't talk about it during today's episode, is making self-care a priority when you're self-employed, when it's really you calling the shots. I have got to admit, you guys, I struggle with this. As I'm recording this, I'm in a pretty busy season for my business where it feels like it's one thing after another, and I have been pushing myself. I really need to do better with letting go a little bit and monitoring my nervous system and making time for self-care, even when I'm telling myself the story that there isn't any time. So I want the same for you because frankly, you guys, if we have amazing lucrative businesses and students who are telling us how big an impact we're making on their lives, but our health is going down the tube, that does not work. That is not in integrity. So I want to know, how are you making time for self-care today? I have 15 minutes between this and my next client, and I'm going to lay down on my office floor and roll around on balls for those 15 minutes. What are you going to do?